let's start with defining transgender. Again, let's try to keep the topic focused specifically on transgender, not on greater philosophical issues, um, but specifically on this um, issue, which I want to discuss from a Torah and halachic perspective. Um, okay, whether you agree Torah exists or not is irrelevant to this discussion. Um, so, so transgender, let's just, I'm reading from Wikipedia here, transgender people are those who have, one second, I have better on my screen here, bigger, um, transgender people are those who have a gender identity that differs differs from their assigned sex. Being transgender is an independent is independent of sexual orientation. Transgender people may identify as heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, asexual, and the list goes on. I don't know the meaning of all these terms, or may decline to label their sexual orientation. Um, recent studies released in 2016 estimate that the proportion of Americans who identify as transgender at 0.5 to 0.6 percent. Gender dysphoria is the distress a person experiences as, as a result of the sex and gender they were assigned at birth not matching the person's gender identity. The main psychiatric approaches to treatment for persons diagnosed with gender dysphoria are psychotherapy or supporting the individual's preferred gender through hormone therapy, gender expression and role, or surgery. Um, the 2015 U.S. Transgender Survey, USTS, is the largest survey examining the experiences of transgender people in the United States with 27,715 <coughs> respondents from all 50 states. Among the starkest findings is that 40% of respondents have attempted suicide in their lifetime, nearly nine times the attempted suicide rate in the U.S. population, which is at 4.6 in 2015. Okay, so... Um, so, if for anything else, it needs, yeah, I believe that's what it said, yes. Um, yes. Forty percent of transgenders, we're going to talk about it a little more, because obviously that's relevant to some of our questions, meaning it's an issue sounds like of Pikoch Nefesh even, um, which could override, as we know, sometimes Torah laws. So, so how that plays a role here. Um, so, Torah law doesn't address transgender, so it's hard to say that. It would be very hard to say that. The Torah doesn't speak about transgender anywhere in the Torah. Um, yeah. What were you saying, Manny? Could be. It's a um, yeah, it's forty-one. Said I'm reading an article. This is way back. This is from two two hundred thousand ten. Transgender Americans faced high suicide risk from NBC News. Staggering forty-one percent of transgender people in the United States have attempted to commit suicide, according to a new survey. About nineteen percent of transgender people report being refused medical care because of their gender non-conforming status, and a shocking 2% have been violently assaulted in the doctor's office. These statistics are just some of the sobering findings from a survey of more than 7,000 transgender people, but uh, conducted by the National Center for Transgender Equality and National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, which might lead to question the findings. But in either case, it's not a good situation. Um, whatever the, it's clearly higher levels of suicide risk, and it's something that uh, needs to be addressed, 
in society at large and, and even in Jewish society because as we know we are no different in our society even um, I would venture to say even Orthodox society this is not, it used to be I think maybe 20 years ago people would look at it as a circus and even recently when the, that, uh, that guy what's his name Kyle Jenner you know switched over it became a big circus and but but it's it, but at the end of the day it's not such it's it's an anomaly obviously but it's it needs to be addressed because it's a serious matter as we see and it's it's affecting people's health and role and um, in society so uh, therefore I think it needs to be addressed in a serious way even um, in the Orthodox community um, um, because it's becoming more and more and more as people and it's a real thing whatever your views are are on it and maybe it could be fixed it can't be fixed that's not that's not part of the question it's a real thing which which um, needs to be addressed from a Torah perspective Ron I, I, uh, I, I just I didn't say anything I say whatever your views are there are people who have differing views I'm sure you agree so so whatever people's views are um, it's something which by the way we just read in Wikipedia there are there are different ways psychotherapy addresses it so you're saying there are no different ways okay I'm sorry for mentioning that the, there are different different methods of dealing with it uh, I, I don't know I don't know anything about it I'm assuming you don't either I'm not an expert in this field I just know that there are studies out there where people say it's it's what's called even wrote it down um, there are actually from your uh, where do you go to medical school again John Hopkins alright so there's a major professor from John Hopkins who says um, um, where I wrote it down here somewhere it's, he calls it a dis he has a major article which so far was, have not been refuted which calls it a disorder of assumption where he says people believe they have this but it's just an assumption it's like looking in the mirror and I, they believe they're obese they believe they're fat most women have that disorder so he has discussed it from a scientific okay this was written in 1991 or whatever I don't know 1995 so I'm just saying there are different opinions I don't know anything about it honestly I'm assuming you don't either okay whatever I don't know look it up there are many there are people who he's a professor in John Hopkins and he still treats people with his disorder in this way and he still has a job in John Hopkins so speak to them why are you screaming at me what do you want from me I don't know anything about this, honestly. I know nothing about the disorder. I, even, I don't even know anyone who has this disorder. So I can't comment on it. I don't know. Do you... I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> okay, one second. I'm not going there. It's irrelevant. We're, we're just, I'm just giving you the definition of, of transgender. We're not going to get into how to treat it. It's not, it's not this class. I'm not an expert. I don't think anyone here is. And, and therefore, we're not going to discuss that. Okay, so let's stick to what, what is the Torah perspective on this. That's all I want to talk about is some Torah. I'm just here to present Torah. Nothing else. <laughs> I think everyone calls it a, a, a disorder. The question is how to, how to do it. Do we fix it? They're fixing it by giving them hormones of the opposite gender. That's like any other treatment for a medical condition. Okay. Okay, so would you call it a disorder? Listen, cancer patients are also being accepted. Doesn't mean it's not a disorder. I don't know. What does accepted have to do with anything? 
definitely, that's for sure. Okay, well anyway, again, I don't know anything about this, I'm not, I'm not, that's not our discussion today. Whether, uh, it's, it's irrelevant, the question is, again, how should we address it from the Torah perspective? That's my only question, the only thing I could shed some light on, even that, I'm not so sure I, I know enough about, but uh, I'm going to try to, <laughs> I'm going to try to get through this. Um, again, I didn't really, I knew it was an emotional topic, I didn't realize it was that emotional. <laughs> okay, uh, did, everybody, can we go on? No, Ron. Can I can I go on? <laughs> I love you dearly, Ron. Okay, so uh, <laughs> okay. Ron, we're not discussing our feelings here. Okay, well, again, we're getting sidetracked. To get sidetracked is the whole point. That's some might believe that. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, so let's let's try to get through this. Some let's start the topic. Seems like it's gonna be a multi-week topic. <laughs> if Ron makes it through, I think we have. Um, okay. <laughs> let's try to get through some of this. Okay. So uh, so the, the first of all, what's amazing, by the way, is again, like I'm saying, it's very important to understand whatever your views are on the topic. Um, it's it's not it's becoming more and more normal more and more part of society and we can't hide our head in the sand we have to address it from all areas whether it's from a again a halakhic standpoint a legal standpoint as the supreme court is doing um, but we're going to f- again focus on the halakhic yes what okay we got please man it's off top of God forbid, not true. God forbid. Okay. Okay, different topic. We could do it, by the way. That's a different topic. I'd love to do a session on left-handedness if you if you are into that. Um, no one, by the way, I just want to tell point out, Ron, no one, oh, whatever, okay, not going to. Anyway, the cost, by the way, just to, you know, it's not cheap, even, I don't want to use the word fix, because Ron's going to get upset, but even if you want to have, um, change your sexual, uh, external genitalia, the costs are not cheap, um, it's somewhere between fifty and $70,000 for surgery, depends which direction you're going in, obviously certain, uh, going from male to female is a lot easier, um, female to male is a, is a little more costlier, it's more equipment, 
more plumbing, etc. So, so that's going to be a little costlier. But just to show you how much it's becoming the norm, um, medic. I believe, from what I've read, Medicare will cover much of the cost or some of the cost, I don't know exactly what percentage, um, of, of having the surgery, which is amazing to me because Medicare will not cover fertility treatments or things like that. They'll give you zero, but they will cover um, switching, which switching uh, genders. So the cost of that, many prisons will, uh, in prison people get it and the costs are covered. So that just, again, shows you where society is at in the sense of what our priorities are. Um, and, and this is more important than helping people with fertility issues, that Medicare will cover the cost for this as opposed to that. So I think that does speak to how Medicare views it as, as um, I don't want to say the word, someone's going to get upset, that it, that it is a problem that needs to be solved in the fact that they're covering the cost of it as opposed to fertility, which they don't seem to view that as, as an illness or anything else. So, so it's an interesting, just, just to sh put it in perspective, um, where our society is at. But the bottom line is, so what I'd like to focus on today is, first of all, is the surgery permitted from a halacha perspective? Um, can we allow someone who has um, this issue, if whatever you, or whatever term you want to use to call it, can we allow them to have the surgery from a, again, from purely a halachic perspective? Um, now, if yes or not, whether yes, whether the Torah does permit it or not, if someone does have the surgery, and this is going to be uh, obviously a big issue, then halacha, someone, I'm getting feedback from someone here. I don't know who it is. People, are you hearing me fine? Okay, so the, uh, the, the question would be, once the surgery is performed, does halacha recognize that there was a change in gender? Um, okay, meaning... The, assuming, let's say, even if Allah doesn't permit the surgery, question becomes: Someone did it, whether they before they were Jewish, before they became, uh, before they were keeping Torah law, or or someone violated the law. Um, in either case, and they perform the surgery, will Allah recognize this change in external genitalia as as a reason to now view them as the opposite gender they were before? Um, and obviously, that's relevant to to hundreds of questions. Um, as we know, because the Torah does differentiate between genders, that's very clear, um, that different genders have different roles in Judaism, um, in, at least in Torah Judaism, um, according to most interpretations of the Torah, not all. Um, so, so we'll leave that question open, but the, clearly the Torah does differentiate between genders, and we'll talk about that a little. So, so the question will become, once someone, let's say male now, or someone has the surgery, they switch genders, in an orthodox shul, which side of the mechitza do they sit on? Um, will they be sitting on the men's side or on the women's side? That's a very important question. Um, okay. Um, why, why are you shaking your head? It's a, it's a question. It's a valid question whether, whether you like the, the issue or not. It's a question that has to be dealt with in a sensitive way, yes. But it needs to be dealt with. Do we, is the same way the, the by the way, the American Constitution dealt, not the American Constitution, the American legal system has to deal with it. Which bathroom do they go to? We know in, in Houston they tried to pass the law, it didn't work. So I'm not sure why you're shaking your head. The Torah is not any less uh, questionable. These questions have to be addressed from a legal perspective, a Torah legal perspective, just as they have to be addressed from a Western law perspective, which we're trying to do, which is how do we view these people? What gender are they? 
Um, there are very many questions within the American uh, legal uh, system of, that applies to that too. Which team are they on? Which sports team? So these are valid questions which need to be addressed from a legal perspective as they are in the United States courts currently and from a halachic perspective just as well. So the Torah, just because it's archaic, still has to address these questions. So, so I'm not sure why you're shaking your head. It's val these are valid questions. So once the surgery again is performed, which gender do we now view them? Do we view them as their previous the gender they were born with? Can you change your gender halachically just by changing your external um, genitalia? Is that sufficient? Or to, do you need the hormone treatment with it? Does that, does that work? What do, how, do we, how is gender defined, really, from a Torah perspective? Is it defined by external genitalia? Is it defined by the person's identity, what they think they are, and they feel like they're a man trapped in a woman's body, or vice versa? Or is it defined by hormonal, by the XY chromosome? So these are all valid uh, legal questions which need to be addressed from a Torah perspective. So again, you have many, like I'm saying, there's, there's literally you know, I can't even think of all the laws off the bat. I'll just, uh, off what I'm thinking about on, on the surface is which side of the mechitza, obviously questions of who they can marry. Because again, if the Torah prohibits, um, the marriage in the Torah is not defined as marrying someone of the same gender, so then who could these people marry? Now, once they had the surgery, do they marry, can they marry uh, their new gender, their old gender? How, how does that work? Um, there's obviously inheritance laws where we know the Torah discriminates outrightly between male and female in inheritance law and uh, who gets, uh, right, males have different laws of inheritance than females. Um, what about a get? Let's say someone was married, a male was married or a female and, and they had, tra uh, they had uh, sex reassignment, so they're no longer quote-unquote male or no longer female, so do we need a get? They technically can't be married according to the Torah. So is, it, is the marriage sort of annulled retroactively? Not retroactively, but from the time of the surgery because now they're a new gender. So t since two women can't marry, halachically speaking, two men can't marry, halachically speaking, so then the problem is, do they even need a get? Okay, so these are all very important questions. And then you have many other issues, um, other types of laws which are based on what we call, in halachic terms, hearer. Um, fantasizing when you have, uh, you know, it's, let's say, laws of yichud, um, laws of um, you're not allowed to pray in front of um, nakedness. So what's called nakedness? Is a piece of plastic called nakedness? Um, meaning, I, I can't, can I say Shema? Can I learn Torah? If someone had the surgery and now they're uncovered, which, depending on which body parts are uncovered, right, that has a lot of halachic ramifications as far as saying, uh, praying in front of that, etc. So those laws, which is interesting because irrelevant to how you, whether they actually change genders or not, many of those laws are based on human psyche of fantasizing. If I see someone from the opposite gender um, um, who is undressed, is not dressed properly, the assumption is going to be distracted from your prayers. So does that apply to someone who, who, who changed their it would make sense, meaning it's irrelevant to whether Allah considers this change gender or not, um, in a legal sense. Here it's a question of, is it going to be, uh, am I going to fantasize about the person? Whether they're, uh, whether Allah recognizes whether they change gender or not is irrelevant. So can I say, can I pray, someone's not dressed properly, um, of, of gender, but they really maybe legally might be considered this gender. So this all comes into play. These are all very important um, questions, legal questions that need to be addressed. Yes, Shelley.
Don't say, don't use the word fix. So that's, so that's going to be the question here. How do we? There's a whole cadre of halachot, halacha um, that deals with, um, as we know, laws of yichud. Let's say secluding yourself in a room with a member of the opposite gender, kolisha, um, even a woman's voice. Um, all these type of halachos which deal with, um, usually meaning fantasizing, or we call her, where you get distracted by people of the opposite gender, and therefore certain halachas apply in those situations. So how does that work um, with transgender? So these are these are real questions, yeah. So again, we're not addressing that. That's we, we place. No, I'm saying that that's a question of of really any law. We're not going to pick out certain laws over other laws. If someone's violating a certain law, how do we give them aliyahs and shul? Do we give? That's a different question, which is a valid question. But you know, that has nothing to do with specifically transgender. That has to do with any any uh, you know any time you have a congregant who's blatantly violating Torah law, how do we deal with that? So that's an excellent question, which is not, yeah, I'm saying that's not a specific transgender question. Um, it's a general question. Uh, again, the specific transgender question is, which side of the machitza are you going to put them on? Do you tell them, uh, does the usher send them to this side or that side of the machitza? Um, so, so again, this, by the way, obviously this is more relevant um, in Orthodox communities because over there you have mu- a much greater recognition of the separation of, the, of sexes um, within ritual, within the synagogues, etc. If you're in a reform shul, it's irrelevant. There's no mechitza, there's no, everyone gets aliyahs. So that's why it specifically um, needs, to, needs to be addressed, I think, in, in, from the Orthodox perspective, um, because it is so, there are so many differences between genders um, when it comes to religious life that it, it needs to be addressed in a more acute way in those communities. So, those, so that's what I was pointing out before. You know, it's, you know, 10 years ago, I think, and even 20 years ago, probably the rabbis who were sort of not answering these questions, they were hiding their head in the sand. I believe we're at the point in our, in our culture and our country, for sure, that we can't hide our head in the sand. These questions need to be addressed. Um, so there's a, by the way, there's a whole book which I don't have in Hebrew. I don't think it was translated. It's called Dor HaPuchos, which deals with just questions of of, uh, of genders, of these questions. It's called Dor HaPuchos, which means the generation of uh, change, of of change. It's a play on words. HaPuchos is the word used for revolution also. So it means the generation of change, and it deals specifically with these questions relevant to gender identity. And um, It was written by someone in Israel, maybe in the last five years or so. I do not have a copy as of yet, um, although I, I have pointed out parts of it that I found. Um, so, again, so where were we? Okay, so getting back to this, so again, so those, those are some of the questions that we, I'd like to discuss. Also, I'm going to touch on, usually I don't get into Kabbalah, but here I think it actually is relevant, because the you know, fascinating what I found is, from different sources, is the concept of a 
man trapped in a woman's body or vice versa, a woman trapped in a, in a male body, is something that Kabbalah seems to address to a certain extent. Um, that, there, that concept does exist. Um, the feminine side of, of men, and etc. So, so I might, even though usually I don't go there, it's beyond my pay scale, but today maybe we'll, we'll try to touch on that. Um, again, the, other, the, other, the last but not least issue is something that we came up before, which is since the suicide rate is so high, so then how do, how do we view that? And this is a valid question, I believe, which uh, many Orthodox rabbis are struggling with. Uh, many rabbis, I don't, not just Orthodox, I'm assuming. I can only tell you what I've heard from Orthodox rabbis, which is since the suicide rate is so high, is that a reason that, like everything else, halacha, the pikuach nefesh issue of some of these issues, where if someone's struggling with this and they have this gender dysphoria or whatever it is, that, that there's a chance that they're going to kill themselves. So halacha is out the window, as we know. Normally, um, right, pikuach nefesh overrides halacha. So even if you're going to say, and we're going to discuss that, that surgery is prohibited for even biblical reasons, maybe Torah reasons, but it's pikuach nefesh. If studies are showing us that these people have a much higher rate of suicide and there's someone's saying they're going to commit suicide if they stay the way they are, so is that a reason to normally we'd say to allow it? So, so, so what's the Torah's approach on that? <coughs> so I'd like to, to um, discuss. So I'm going to start with, first of all, the generally speaking, um, and again, this is generally from the Torah, the concept, uh, you know, another part of this also today in our society is the concept of gender neutrality, where many people today won't, they get offended even if you ask them their gender. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, gender neutral. I don't have any gender. People, that's a big part of our society today also, that direction of gender neutrality, which I believe, again, this is my opinion, um, I'm not an expert in this, I clearly don't claim to be. I'm just trying to give a Torah class on Wednesday mornings. And I get so, and my beard turned white. You know, when I started this class, by the way, I was totally, I didn't have a white hair on my body. Um, but it's a lot, it's very stressful, this class. And the pay is very low. But, um, but I still continue. <laughs> it's true, I still believe that. I, still, I haven't changed my views. <laughs> 20 years giving this class, I don't think I changed my views. Um, I still love you as much as the first day. And I hope you love me as much. Um, <laughs> so the the uh, so the bottom line is so again gender neutrality I believe goes this concept of that gender is irrelevant. Um, clearly, what I believe from based on my Torah knowledge goes against the Torah's philosophy um, because you find throughout the Torah, and that's what I'll start with just as a general overview before we get to all the the good uh, the punchline topics, is that um, the Torah clearly spells out the difference between masculinity and femininity, um, and clearly defines it as an integral part of of creation and of, of, of our religion and different roles for different genders. So the concept of gender neutrality, I believe, is against uh, the Torah um, in that sense. Now, that's from a philosophical perspective. And again, it's not really, we're not addressing how it plays a role here and what happens when someone is a man trapped in a woman's body. We'll get to that part. I'm just saying, generally speaking, it's very clear, and I don't think there's any other way to interpret it. Um, the Torah starts off saying, um, right, right in the beginning of creation, in Bereshis, that God created, um, says he created men and women, men and women. He created them um, very clearly in the first day of creation, stating that there are male and females um, he created. Now again, 
So what the Medrash does say is, of course, that um, actually Adam was created as an androgynous being. There's two different opinions how that was. Some say that he had ma- um, that there was he had both male and female genitalia. Um, he was androgynous in that sense. Others say that he was uh, I forgot the English word for it, but it was one side was male. One it's actually a machlokas in the Gemara. Um, um, different opinions. Um, reading the Gemara now, it says, even Hashem One said that the side was referred to a figure. A man was created as a double figure, one male and one female, and then God just cut them in half, and that was uh, the separation of Adam and Eve. But uh, um, in that sense, that verse is very clearly stating, stating that again, the original being was androgynous, and then there are what separate into what's called male and female. Um, interestingly enough, I found someone quoting this on that Pasuk, uh, Rabbi Salvechik, and there's a Chumash that was recently published, uh, it's called the Mesorah Sarav Chumash, which the, with the commentary of Rabbi Salvechik, the, the Rosh Hashiva of, of YU, the original Rosh Hashiva, and he writes there, an interesting thing, I think it might be relevant to our topic, he says, male and female in this context are to be taken, not only in physiological sense, he's going on this verse in the Torah that God created male, uh, the original human, male and female, separated, and then, so he says, male and female in this context are to be taken not only in a physiological sense, but also in a spiritual, metaphysical one. And this is where I, I was saying, maybe Kabbalistic sources, which he's quoting here, he says, every soul consists of a spiritual androgyny. Every, he says, every soul consists of a spiritual androgyny, a male and female persona. Um, it's a little rubbed out here, but man uh, both influences and, and is influenced He's both giver and receiver, and we're not going to get into the difference between male and female, philosophically speaking, but generally Kabbalah refers to the male as the giver, female as the receiver, um, um, again in the spiritual sense. Okay, so he says, in the spiritual world, every individual carries both traits, and only through the development of both the dukhra and nukhra perspectives, meaning through the male, and those are Kabbalistic words for male and female perspectives, can individuals attain their full spiritual potential. So he's saying part of um, us, our job as humans, to fulfill our full potential, we have to use both the, this, this uh, dynamic um, of, of having of our souls, which have both the spiritual and, f- and f- uh, sorry, the male and female dimensions, and in order to fill our potential, we have to use both parts of that. He says, the blessing that God bestowed on man, I'm skipping around here, this is a very long piece. He says, The blessing that God bestowed on man during creation operates in both the spiritual metaphysical realm as well as the physical realm. Actualizing the potential of dukhra vinukva, that means the male and female parts, is the greatest and most exalted of blessings. So he's saying that part of our job as humans is not just if, you know, many times men, as we know, have a problem um, using their female side. We all have a feminine side to ourselves, but men, it's not macho to use our feminine side. But he's saying is no. Part of our job as you, of humans is to p- actualize both sides of uh, ourselves, our male and female side. Ron, you're agreeing? The first, first agreement of the day. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, okay, get that in writing? Please, Ron. Because next week you might, you might argue. Um... Interestingly enough, the Kuzari uh, is also quoted here. He says, the, uh, um, the Kuzari writes of Yudah Levi, this is written in 1075, 1141, the author does stated that there is no difference between the formations of the male and female except for the visibility of some organs in the one, in the one and the concealment of some in the other. Um, 
So he, and he discusses here, and he actually says, and it has already been documented, I don't know if this is true, through surgical analysis, this is written in, in the 1100s, through surgical analysis that the female organs are the same as the male organs, except that in the female they're inverted inwards. So interestingly enough, um, I don't know why you're taking that. Why you, where do you get that from? There's nothing negative here. On the contrary, concealment is a good thing in Judaism. Not a bad thing. Um, concealment is, is everything. God is concealed. God is concealed. The Shekhinah is concealed. God is known as the feminine, by the way, because God is concealed. No, on the contrary. They show their... The opposite. Pigs show that they're kosher. They try to show off. Show off is a bad thing. Non-concealment is a bad thing. Concealment is a good thing. It's in all areas of Jewish Kabbalistic thought and philosophy. Concealment is good. God, God conceals himself. The Shekhinah is always concealed. That's why God is feminine, by the way. Because God is concealment. So if anything, it's the opposite. So I don't know where you're, what you've been smoking or reading, but it's not. It's the opposite of what you're saying. Yeah. Concealment in Judaism is a good thing, by the way, not a bad thing. I don't know why. We're, it's the first time I'm hearing that it's not a good thing. Um, all, every, all the writings that I've written, read, um, Kabbalistic writings, are all talks about concealment as a good thing. Everything, when you try to show off, um, that's not a good thing. That's skaiva, that's, that's meaning everyone's, the concept of tzniyut for men and women is a good concept of concealing, not, not being outward, not showing what you have outwardly. So, and the Gemara, by the way, is also Gemara and Ksubas that seems to imply similarly. It discusses discussing the difference between men and women in a legal sense, and it says, um, um, it says, Ze Yitzra this one, the man has his, the only difference between men and women, it says, this, the man has his frustrated desires, um, meaning his tava, his lusts, are exposed on the outside. And this one, the woman, has her frustrated hidden desires are hidden on the inside. If anything, it's better. Um, it's discussing why, in that sense, women have it easier and better in that sense. But so, so, so again, where, where these, even though it's very clear there are differences between men and women, um, it's very clear that Hashem created them um, both. The concept of male and female is a is a is a very clear concept. The concept of gender differences um, is a very clear concept within the Torah. Okay. Okay. Not clear. Um, so I think I have to start using psychological. Uh, you know, the, if I say I'll say it's it's not clear, then you'll say it's clear on. So maybe I got to come from that perspective. Um, okay. So now another interesting. Uh, just I was telling you mentioned before about the Kabbalistic aspect. So this is from the Kafa Chaim, um, who was a Sephardi rabbi, I, think, I believe, in Baghdad, Yaakov Chaim Sofer of Baghdad. He lived uh, 1870 to 1939, and he seems to be inferring here, again, from a Kabbalistic perspective, that it's possible for a, a female soul to be in a male body or vice versa, okay? And he views it as, in a certain sense, even a punishment, um, in that sense, from a Kabbalistic perspective, meaning, you know, he understands that it's going to cause problems. Um, again, I don't want to use the word problems, however you want to use it, or maybe it makes the person better. I'll just read you what he says here. It's, um, it's from his... Um, his, his book knows the Kafa Chaim. He says, 
he says da ki adam. He says because a person even though he might be male, meaning outwardly his genitalia male, yesh mine. He says yesh mine averot. Ron, you're not going to like this, so you might want to step away for a few minutes. He says there are some sins shegormim lo lisapech that cause him to be turned into v'liot nekeva to become female, um, or vice versa. He says. Um, and he says, uh, he says, we don't know what he discusses various sins that might have caused that, but he says it might cause him to come down again. He, you know, as we know, Svartim, Kabbalah is very into uh, reincarnation, and, we, and they believe that all, all souls today are reincarnated in a certain sense. So he says that because of a past life, something that the person did in his past life, he might have to come down. If he was a male in the past life, he might have to come down in a female um, body or vice versa. So his soul is a male soul, but it's trapped in a female body. Or the, or, or you have someone who's he's female in the past life, so their soul is female, but they're coming down in a male body. I'm just pointing out, again, we're not discussing about it, and I don't understand it actually, but I'm sure pointing out that the possibility of this concept that we talk about today, a male trapped in a female body, or female trapped in a male body, which is term, which are terms used by these people who have the dysphoria, that's how they feel, they're expressing their feelings, seems to be a Kabbalistic concept um, which existed, which is fascinating to me, which I did not know about um, um, t- until I was researching this class at 6 o'clock this morning. So, uh, so it's just, a, it's a, just a, again, this fascinating concept. Um, he actually, um, uh, Yosef Chaim of Baghdad, the old Yosef Chaim, also um, discusses this. Maybe this was a big problem in Baghdad at the time, um, transgender people, but he discusses, he has a whole chat I'm not going to get into, discussing the concept that, um, according to Kabbalah, Tamar um, was also the, the Tamar, the one who, uh, Yehuda's daughter-in-law, um, was actually male, um, in a female body. <laughs> Ron, you like that one? I'm not going to go there. Um, I don't understand. I didn't have time to go to to look at it in a real way, but he discusses this concept um, that she was really male. And the question is, that's um, he even discusses, by the way, in the same piece that Sarah and Abraham. Sarah also was, even though outwardly she was female, but she was really male. That's why they couldn't have children until Hashem had to change her name to from Sarai to Sarah. Where that, and that's why he tells. He tells Avram to go out of your news, right? As the measure says, go out of your astrology, become someone who you're not, because again, they were both male; they wouldn't be able to have children together, um, in that sense, in the neshama sense. So, interestingly enough, I'm pointing out again, um, I'm trying to help the situation here, Ron, in the sense of that the Kabbalah seems to recognize the fact that you could have a male trapped in a female body, or a male trapped in a, in a, or vice versa, a female trapped in a male body, is what I'm pointing out here. Um, and again, and there's other. There's this uh, famous uh, sefer called Shara Gagulim, which talks about uh, all the different reincarnations and who people were, etc. And he also seems to address that it's very possible males will come down in female bodies, females will come down in male bodies. So again, I'm just pointing out that the concept from a philosophical, kabbalistic perspective exists. Um, um, so, so we're out of time today. So we're not going to um, 
but but God willing, next week we will discuss again the real halachic issues, as we mentioned, relevant to this question, legal definitions of defining male and female within Jewish law and how that affects someone who's transgender who had the surgery or may you have the surgery. So uh, so if you if this is stressing you out this class too much, please feel free <laughs> not to come. Or but if uh, if you want to be part of this discussion, we'd love to hear all viewpoints. Um, We'd love to have everyone on board. Yeah. The first rabbi, he says, yeah, all reincarnation, when you're coming down in a different type of, let's say you're coming down even as a non-Jew, you're coming down as a, as a not, not to say that a male and a female body, meaning we know today it is a punishment. If you look at the people, like we're saying, they're clearly struggling with it. So anytime you have a soul that has one um, so one set of attributes, whether it's Jewish attributes, whether it's female or male attributes, um, or uh, you know, and you come back in a body that is not who you are, there's going to be a struggle there. And this is a very real thing. That's why I think it's important. That's that's why I'm mentioning it, because whether we believe in Kabbalah, whatever it is, the point is it's showing that the concept of a struggle exists, meaning it's not something that we can just discount and say, oh, these people are crazy. They're saying a man trapped in a male body, a woman trapped... It's a real thing. There's, if someone has a certain type of soul, then there's going to be a struggle with how they are in this world. Just like if a Jewish soul will come down in a non-Jewish, or if a human soul, which Kabbalah also agrees, comes down in an, an animal's body, it could, it's going to be a struggle. Obviously, the human's going to be stuck. He can't do, can't communicate. He can't do the things that he did in his past life. And the soul knows that. Soul recognizes who it is, because that's really what any human being is, or any living thing is. Its soul. It's not its body. The body is just an outward manifestation. Um, you know, as a way to to communicate, a way to do things in life. Of what, you're, what I'm saying is your soul is who you are. So obviously if your soul and body don't match, there's going to be a real struggle. And that's what the Kabbalah seems to, I'm just pointing out, the Kabbalah recognizes that, which I think is an amazing concept. So the struggles the people going, what I'm pointing out is, let's not discount the struggles that these people are going through because they seem, they could be very real. Um, they're real struggles. 